Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to the first 2024 episode of the Scope of Things podcast, a no-nonsense look at the promise and problems of clinical research based on a sweep of the latest news and emerging trends in the field and what I think is worth your attention. I'm Deborah Borfitz, Senior Science Writer for Clinical Research News, which means I spend a lot of time with my ear to the ground on your behalf and a lot of hours every week speaking to top experts from around the world. I want to start out by announcing I am changing up the show from its former one theme per episode format because I just couldn't do a good job of covering all the important late-breaking stuff that way. And I really do want this to become your trusted go-to channel for staying current on the things that matter the most. To that end, I am so very pleased to announce that the Scope of Things has a newly seated advisory board, and don't be surprised if you recognize a few of these names. Drum roll, please. In no particular order, we have in this esteemed group a man who almost needs no introduction, Ken Getz, Executive Director and a Professor at the Tufts Center for the Study of Drug Development, being joined by Ramita Tandon. Chief Clinical Trials Officer for Walgreens, Joseph Kim, Chief Strategy Officer at Proof Pilot, Ramona Burris, Head of Patient Engagement at Takeda, and Shamim Ruff, Chief Regulatory Officer at Stoke Therapeutics. Hats off to the fabulous five for agreeing to serve as my sounding board. Rest assured there will be no fake news or disinformation sharing going on here, only what is true and worthy of your 30 or so minutes of time. Uh, Ken and Ramita, by the way, have both been guests on the podcast. That's uh, episodes 2 and 17, so you can refer back. And it's a great way to stick your head in their world when you have a few minutes. Uh, I have a couple of guests waiting in the wings to talk about innovation in clinical research, including where it's most needed and where it's lacking and the kind of technologies that might help close the gaps. But first, I wanted to serve up my eyes-on-the-street coverage of a few of the current happenings in the clinical trial enterprise. And there's a lot to unpack, so hold on to your hats. First off, I didn't intend for this to sound like an episode on artificial intelligence, but it is a repeating theme that is sort of hard to ignore. And is backed by predictions that the worldwide market for AI and healthcare will balloon from $11 billion in 2021 to $188 billion by 2030. Tellingly, the New England Journal of Medicine now has a peer-reviewed journal devoted entirely to AI. In some respects, AI has already become a standard feature in the world of clinical trials. Many use cases have been proposed, but real-world applications have been gaining traction over the past year in particular, including the use of large language models to help write study protocols. But the examples I have most often run across involve the use of chatbots, including one called Terra being used by Belong.Life, a social network of sorts for cancer patients, to match patients to clinical trials. Microsoft also has an open source chatbot for trial matching purposes. And the University of Florida, in partnership with GPU maker NVIDIA, has been very actively exploring how to utilize what it is calling Gatortron GPT in clinical care and trials, for example, to do clinical note-taking. Now, remember, two years ago, before the better-known chat GPT was even on the scene, Genentech was using a chatbot to aid the ramp-up of decentralized clinical trials and to improve diversity and inclusion in its studies. So, 
AI will also have a big role to play in the creation of digital twins, where modeling and simulation is done at the individual or population level to, for example, inform the optimal order and delivery of therapies for cancer patients in multiple drug regimens inside of a clinical trial. A digital twin might also serve as a virtual control for gauging drug effectiveness so adjustments can be adaptively made. The latest breaking news is that over the next six years, researchers in the Netherlands will be heading up a pan-European effort to develop a digital twin to simulate stroke treatments. Here, AI will be making the calculations based on blood pressure readings, heart rhythm data, and brain scan information coming from real stroke patients. We turn next to obesity clinical trials. With the CDC now reporting that nearly half of Americans suffer from obesity, it should perhaps be unsurprising that more than 500 clinical trials are underway involving weight loss medications. On the bright side, the research could potentially lead to a reduction in obesity-related problems like diabetes and heart attacks. But there have been some unintended consequences, including the possibility of gastroparesis, a disorder causing paralysis of the stomach muscles, which is often painful and has no cure. A study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association a few months ago found that people who take drugs intended to slow down how quickly food passes through the stomach may be at increased risk. Around the same time, the FDA updated the label for the diabetes medication Ozempic, commonly prescribed off-label for weight loss, warning that in rare cases it may be linked to the development of blocked intestines, a potentially life-threatening adverse reaction. Oh, and by the way, obesity is a significantly bigger health problem in the U.S. than in any country in Europe, where doctors are also much more willing to recommend lifestyle changes than prescribe a weight loss drug. Then there are the new and emerging areas of interest, including anti-aging drugs, therapies for brain metastasis, non-insulin treatment of type 1 diabetes, and an assortment of AI-designed medications. Last month, Insilico Medicine ushered its fifth AI-discovered drug into clinical trials, this time for a first-in-class inhibitor for the treatment of inflammatory bowel disease. Meanwhile, researchers in Italy are testing, testing a dietary supplement thought to block a critical component of the microenvironment of brain metastases, thought to help maintain the viability of cancer cells. And a nationwide investigator network in Spain is soon to launch a study looking at levels of a biomarker that correlate with patients who don't respond to radiation therapy. And in Australia, a tablet commonly prescribed for rheumatoid arthritis is being used in a drug repurposing study where it is being tested as a disease-modifying treatment for type 1 diabetes. That's big. It is also noteworthy that after years of planning and fundraising, the so-called TAME trial will finally launch this year. TAME is investigating whether the diabetes drug metformin might help people taking it delay development or progression of various age-related chronic diseases. The bigger hope here is that the FDA will designate aging as an indication that can be modified by drug treatment. And I am excited to learn that another former guest on the show, Gerald Finken, recently announced that his pharmacy research organization known as RxE2 has launched a technology platform with AI analytics 
to enable independent community pharmacies to compliantly integrate their practices into clinical trials. The RxC2 platform taps into its treasure trove of data on millions of diverse patients and uh, ability to process and query patient records in real time to improve patient recruitment, drug dispensing, and of course, patient counseling. Gerald tells me that community pharmacies willing to come out from behind the counter have a relationship with patients that is different from the one that they have with any other healthcare provider and, and where the real value lies in positively impacting clinical trials. Importantly, hundreds of community pharmacies now have certified social workers on staff to increase efforts to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as social determinants of health strategies. If you've missed my chat with him on the role and value of pharmacists and clinical research, you can catch up by listening to episode six of the podcast. Speaking of patient engagement, in the U.S., the FDA more than a decade ago established a patient-focused drug development initiative to obtain the patient perspective on specific diseases and their currently available treatments, as did the European Medicines Agency years ago, and their input has been refreshingly eye-opening. Researchers in Japan have more recently followed suit, empowering patients with rare diseases to help pick the most important areas to prioritize for medical research. In an online space they call the Evidence Generating Commons, investigators at Osaka University conversed and collaborated with patients, family members, and former policymakers over the course of two years. Seven high-priority topics were identified, reflecting the top issues they collectively face, including things like financial burden, impacts on daily life, anxiety, and, of course, the challenges of hospital visits. Results of the collaboration published in a research paper with several of the patients named as co-authors. Study results are the basis of communications with policy stakeholders in the field of rare diseases to inform allocation of limited research resources. Lastly. The software as a medical device industry may still be in the nascent stages of development, but interest in freestanding medical software is clearly surging. The number of such projects approved by the FDA skyrocketed from 1 to 581 between 2012 and 2021, more than three-fourths related to medical imaging, but notably nearly one-quarter for AI-based software. Also in the mix are many startup companies with innovations enabling digital therapeutics and remote monitoring, and the pharmaceutical industry itself, which is actively engaged in both the digitalization of healthcare and the digitalization of clinical trials. Okay, enough with the news. <laughs> I would like to devote the rest of this episode to the topic of innovation. I could think of no better pair to get us up to speed on the topic than today's guests, Dan Hydes and Ward Lemaire, who will be serving as two of the judges for a first-ever pitch contest being held in conjunction with the upcoming Summit for Clinical Ops Executives, better known as SCOPE. Dan is the CEO and co-founder of Ignite Data, a UK-based company innovatively using technology to help hospitals transfer patient data for clinical trials. And Ward is Head of Data Management and Central Monitoring at J&J &J Innovative Medicine. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you for having me. Hi, Deborah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks for waiting in the wings. Uh, let's dive in here. Uh, Ward, I'm going to start with you. 
The clinical trial ecosystem has a bunch of players, sponsors, CROs, study sites and investigators, umpteen ancillary services, regulatory bodies, plus potential and actual trial participants. And they probably have both some overlapping and some divergent needs in their different roles. How then are technology innovators advised to think about meeting these multiple demands and and whose needs to prioritize? What, what, What would you tell an audience of eager startups about how to direct their limited resources? Yeah, thank you again for having me on your uh, podcast, uh, Jeff. Um, Yeah, first I speak on my own behalf, uh, not the name of the company, but when I think about startups and with limited capital, limited resources, I believe that the most important part is to solve a specific problem the industry needs and either try to be the first or try to have the best offering out there. Um, what you what you probably don't want to solve is a very big problem with numerous customers, numerous complexities, and immediately take on the big, well-established technological offerings. Uh, but many pharma companies and CROs are actually looking for best-of-breed solutions. And if you have the best solution for one area that can be anything, you can prove and you can prove that you can integrate that within other existing solutions, I think you have a fantastic product uh, where you can build on. And that might be anything, as I said, that might be a workflow tool, that can be a visualization tool, can be an AI machine learning use case, as you have been referencing. All of that is fine as long as it can be integrated. So as long as it is future-proof and ready for the next decade of change, I think you're on to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, building on existing knowledge makes a lot of sense. Uh, okay, now Ignite Data has itself only been out of startup mode for a few years. So Dan, I imagine you have a few lessons learned to share with those coming up behind you about the do's and don'ts of getting a new technology in front of the right audience and competing for investment dollars. Can you share your secret sauce for surviving, maybe even thriving in the early days of running the business? Yeah, thanks also, Deborah, for inviting me to speak on this podcast. I mean, I didn't compare notes with Ward before this at all, but the point that he's just made, I entirely agree with. Um, Business is, at the end of the day, all about solving problems, right? You know, and it seems obvious, but the most important thing when you're a startup is to make sure you are solving a real problem rather than just a nice to have solution um and it's an easy believe me it's a very easy mistake to make so when we when we started out we looked around to find the biggest problem that we could in a narrow but very deep niche um and that's why we landed on the the problem of you know the duplication that occurs when you're entering data for a clinical trial and the errors that occur when you're transferring data between an electronic health record and an edc system mm. it's a huge problem so when we spoke to you know, stakeholders at hospitals and when we spoke to stakeholders at pharmaceutical companies, we didn't have any trouble at all kind of explaining what the problem was. And because it was, um, we focused down on what that value proposition was and it was, it sort of benefited everybody. We didn't have any trouble getting people to collaborate with us to try and jointly solve the problem together. Um, you know, big, big hospitals and big sponsors working together with us in those early days really helped us develop that product market fit um, in in the right way. So um, find the problem 
absolutely critical. And then be mission driven. I think that's um, it's you know a bit. Yes, a business is about making money, but if you can be running a successful business that's turning over revenue whilst also solving a problem that's ultimately going to benefit the industry and patients and sites you're it that's the best of both worlds and i think it, it's something that you can't fake and, I, and certainly within our organization everybody we're a small team but everybody is is driven by that um and you can't hide it and when you when you find yourself in discussions with people you're trying to sell to with people you're trying to engage with or partner they just pick up on this you know you know so it's it's finding a real problem collaborating in the right way and then um the way that you access funding is, is is critical too i mean i could go on and on and on about that but um uh vc is not for everybody you know it's like it's, you need to get the right capital the right amount of capital at the right moment not too soon not too late judging that that is um is a really difficult thing to get right believe me um but uh, we've certainly got a lot of scar tissue in that area. But I feel we've made the right decisions ultimately. <laughs> I appreciate how genuine you were being. Uh, good advice all the way around. Um, can, can we narrow down the specific places in the clinical trial process where innovation is most needed today? I've been hearing a lot about the importance of simplifying the patient experience and speeding up the process of finding them in the first place and increasing diversity as well as diagnostic tests that can better stratify patients and trials. So I imagine those sorts of things might make the list, but but Ward, you tell me where you are witnessing, if not experiencing, the biggest pain points and the, and the types of technologies you foresee bringing relief. Yeah, it's something we, we constantly think about uh, in our strategic thinking for the next couple of years. And so in the clinical data industry, we constantly talk about uh, the increase of the five Bs, uh, as we call them. The first, uh, first three are volume, variety, and velocity. And so clinical trial data has and still is continuously uh, and continuously exponentially growing in volumes. It comes from many, many more places and, and growing places. And that has uh, yeah, given us a lot of room for improvements. The last thing is the, 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 the velocity, right? The data is coming through, through sponsors with breakneck speed. And so the technologies that were built 10 or 15 years ago were not created for this type of environment and definitely not for the next 10 years. So nor the performance of systems, nor the speed, nor the, the global reach or the ability to deal with both structured and unstructured data um, is often realized in these uh, legacy systems. And then, and then we're not even thinking and talking about potential AI machine learning use case. Um, the last two Vs are value and veracity. Um, as scientific breakthroughs are accelerating, and you've evidence on that, right? On biomarkers, big data, genomic data, that is driving uh, breakthroughs in science that has not been seen in, in the past. We have to follow that speed with innovation in our technology. And so, I've seen an interest, an increased interest in all companies on clinical trial data. And so the value of clinical trial data has increased, which also means that technology on those clinical trial data has increased. And with the data coming in from all those different places, we are a very well-regulated industry, rightfully so. And so we have to be able to fully trace 
all the data, keep the privacy and security of patients in check. Uh, and so every niche part that drives those kinds of solutions to keep that traceability, the merit, the truth, um, it's no longer good enough to, to say that the database is complete and accurate. We also need to prove where it's coming from and whether it's true or not. Um, if we want to be successful in our industry, I think we need to ensure that the technology around clinical trial data is, is never lagging. It's, it's, it's second by second updating. Mm. And it is definitely not holding back the scientific breakthroughs because otherwise we will actually let patients down around the globe. And as you said, it will also not drive the diversity that we're seeking for improving better healthcare solutions around the globe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the big ask, but a big need. Uh, it, it, since the two of you will be judges at next month's clinical trial tech pitch contest at Scope, I'd like to end this chat by asking each of you what you will personally be listening for during the five to seven minute presentation by the six finalists. Uh, do tell. D- Dan, you first on this one. Thanks, Deborah. Um, for me, a really important thing is about making people's lives easier, not more complicated. As, as as Ward has said, you know, there's more and more data going to sites all the time. The roles of the CRCs at sites having to sort of manage this data is getting worse and worse. And a lot of applications and solutions that I see are sort of well-intentioned, but ultimately what they can end up doing is just giving the site more and more things to install, to integrate with, to support. And even though they have the best intentions, they can often make the lives of the people running the trials at the sites more complicated. So for me, site centricity is really, really important. It's patient centricity is critical, but if if it's patient centricity at the expense of site centricity, that for me is, you, you know, def- it completely defeats the object. So for things that make it easier for the sites to conduct the clinical trials, which ultimately makes it easier for the sponsors to con- conduct the clinical trials at those sites and increases the capacity and makes them more efficient. That's an important thing that I always like to see. And at a higher level, it's just that focus on a value proposition that's really, really clear to articulate and simplicity. You know, if, if you can't describe the problem and the solution simply, you don't understand it well enough, you know, so it's being able to articulate it clearly and having that focus on the value proposition, ideally in my mind for the site, because from that, that's the, um, from that point, everything, all the other value flows in my mind. Mm, good point. Okay. Uh, Ward, what would you add to that? Yeah. So I, one, I, I 100% agree with Dan. Uh, you cannot create a solution that creates a bottleneck somewhere else. And this, as long as you don't have the patient center in mind and then the sites who actually make it work, it will not work. Um, the other thing I would add is, personally, I'm very interested to hear and see what a company already has done and, and how a currently available technology solves a problem for today, but then has the promise to continue to build for, for, for the future. Um, sometimes I see very nice slides and future roadmaps and great ideas, but that does not typically convince anyone to get it done. So I think we can build it all, but until we have seen a solution, uh, rather than, than trying to convince us, I, I think that's what I'm looking for. What have what has a company already done um, from a demo, from from a, a business case that has been worked out? Even if it's half worked out, it's good to actually show how it already solved something for today. 
in order to continue to get funding for uh, for building for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, I sure hope that some of the contestants are listening in. If not, we're going to have to tell them they need to. You're giving some great tips here, <laughs> and they still have time to sort of home their presentation accordingly. Um, the energy in the room should be insane. Um, truthfully, I hope the day ends with several successful matches between comp- competing startups and investors ready to act on the opportunity. Uh, we're going to have to wrap up here in a minute, but not before I share a pet peeve <laughs> that I know is shared by many of our listeners and has been said many times before to no avail. But can we pare down on our use of acronyms, please? <laughs> They are confusing, off-putting, presumptuous, and ultimately hurt our ability to communicate. We have enough problems these days, so let's solve the one that costs us nothing. I don't care if you're talking to a room full of MDs and PhD scientists. They are not all going to know what you're talking about. A simple three-letter acronym like ATP, I just randomly looked it up. There's literally hundreds of possible definitions, and these include highly scientific uh, meanings such, such as adenosine triphosphate, but also adult treatment panel, access to patients, approval to proceed, advanced technology partner, addictions treatment program, attitude prediction, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And no one really wants to feel stupid and ask. <laughs> Enough said on that point. I do want, as always, to give a big thanks to everyone out there for listening in, um, and thank you again to my 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 guest today. Thank you for being here and talking about innovation. Um, I wanted to tell everyone, if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, please consider going to Apple Podcasts and doing so right now so you don't miss your monthly dose of news and perspectives. You'll be hard-pressed to find anywhere else. And if you're up for it, I'd be so very grateful if you'd leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts too, and feel free to comment on the new format I have adopted. Um, again, thank you to my guests for being on the show. Um, hopefully, um, they'll be, well, I know that I will be seeing them at Scope. Um, and if you like today's conversation, it's only a glimpse of what you too can hear there. Um, please plan on coming. Um, if, if you would like to join us, please uh, do so on February 11th to 14th in Orlando, Florida. And you can get 10% off if you use discount code SOT10. off any current rate. So think about that. Nice savings. Uh, For more information, visit scopesummit.com. Bye for now. Have a great 2024, everyone.